0: I'm your host, David Nage. This is Base Layer, where institutional investors come to learn about crypto.
1: The views, information, or opinions expressed during the Base Layer podcast series are
0: solely those of the individuals involved and do not necessarily represent those of Arca, where David Nage is a principal. Arca is not responsible and does not verify for accuracy of any of the information contained in the podcast series available for listening. The primary purpose of this podcast series is to educate and inform. The podcast series does not constitute financial advice or other professional advice or services. Please do your own research. Today's show is sponsored by Coinbase Prime, a leading prime brokerage for digital assets. While Coinbase is widely known for its retail business, Coinbase also provides the bridge to the digital asset world for institutional investors, high net worth individuals, financial institutions, and corporate investors. Through their professional trading platform, deep and diversified liquidity, execution expertise, and Coinbase Custody, one of the largest most trusted digital asset custodians, Coinbase Prime is a solution for institutions looking to enter the digital asset markets. For more information, visit prime.coinbase.com. This is David, and this is your new episode of Base Layer, and I have a good friend of mine and a rock star. and I say that word seriously, rock star, to me words, CSO Chief Strategy Officer at CoinShares, where they have over 3 billion now, and they have just been absolutely killing it. We're going to have a very unedited, unfiltered conversation because the world is just really, <laughs> really weird right now. <laughs>
1: David, you might... when you say rock star, can I get like a guitar riff or something? Absolutely. yeah. Can yeah we edit well, 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 in just like a... our. Yes, we will
0: have that. This is going to be a fun one, guys. This is not going to be the standard protocol where we talk very specifically about this, that, and the other. The world is really weird right now. And, you know, honestly... Apple might actually say, oh, "Well, there's lots of bad words in this because there's going to be some bad words in this because the world is kind of fucked up right now." Um, yeah,
1: I think the title for this episode is "Nothing Effing Matters."
0: Yes, and you know I'm I'm using this kind of language right now because, as a father of two and someone who's trying to bring a new generation into this world, we saw effectively a coup two days ago here in the United States. You might say, well, that's not really fair. You know, there were a bunch of protesters. No, they weren't. They weren't protesters. They were actually people who were storming the Capitol. And Meltem and I were just talking about this before, before we recorded.
1: While, while Congress was in session, right? While
0: Congress was in session.
1: That's the wildest thing to me. And then what I was saying to you, David, is like what's, what's so insane about all of this is um, I was actually sitting there. I have a giant TV monitor in front of me. Um, I'm watching these scenes unfolding, and on the screen next to it, I'm watching the Dow closing, and the Dow closed up 400 points. Yep. New market high. Yep.
0: Now, you and I both come from worlds beyond Bitcoin, beyond digital assets.
1: Wait, Deep there's across- a world beyond Bitcoin? There what? is. Yes. <laughs> Wait. There is a world
0: beyond. But- Wait, David,
1: are you recording this? Yes. Oh, you are? Okay. Sorry.
0: It's okay.
1: <laughs> I didn't know if you were.
0: We're going to have fun with this. This is the fun <laughs> one. This is my fun one. This is where the, the gloves are off. Okay, um, good. And so, yes, you know, this was... Un- I, I, people were like, well, why are you so surprised? And I shouldn't be surprised because you and I both know that the world that we see right now, especially with regards to the markets, the markets are basically juiced. The markets are basically addicted to free money. And that's actually one of the reasons why everyone's been starting to pay attention to the our world, if you call it our world. What do you think?
1: Yeah, so um let's let's unfurl that a bit because I think he, here's I I'm of two minds about this, right? We look at the world um unfolding around us, and one thing I said recently that I have mixed feelings about is Bitcoin is an antidote to dysfunction. Right. If we look at the world around us and we look at how dysfunctional our institutions are, in many ways, what Bitcoin represents is the antithesis of that dysfunction, because what Bitcoin invites us to do um is instead of relying on institutions, it's to rely on on ourselves and this concept of self-sovereignty, et cetera, is a great narrative. In reality, that narrative that's being perpetuated by, you know, multi-billionaire money managers going on television and, and spitting this narrative – It's really at this point still cosplay, right? It's aspirational. I call it LARPing or live action role playing. Mm -hmm. They get up there on CNBC and they talk about these properties of Bitcoin as an inflation hedge and a hedge against um, dysfunction, really a hedge against chaos. And the way they're getting exposure to their Bitcoin is is through the system that they're trying to to defeat. So I think we're still in the very early days of people really understanding what it means for Bitcoin to be an antidote to to dysfunction. Mm -hmm. Um, but it doesn't matter, right? The fact that people are finding it aspirational, I think, is step one of this very long journey. Yeah. I've been on for the last six years. Like, I met you when you weren't 100% in this world yet. You've been on this journey. we were just <laughs> reflecting on how wild it is. But um, I, I think the fact that people are now speaking about this antidote to dysfunction in an aspirational way reflects a fundamental shift in mindset. So that's mm-hmm. number one. The second thing that I started reflecting on um, over the holidays, I actually didn't look at my laptop for a couple of days. Wow! I I I know, and I looked at. I talked to people who are not in crypto, um, and one of the things that really struck me. um, Have you ever heard of the Honus Wagner card? Yeah, of course. Okay, you're like yes. I had never heard of it because I'm a Neanderthal somehow. Um, So I started looking at collectibles. Obviously, I've been watching what's been happening in the world of NFTs, which is just phenomenal. But um, really what, what I started to realize is, wait a minute, Bitcoin is the Honus Wagner card of money. And where we see money going right now, people are spending their cash to try to buy anything and everything that will have value. In the last month alone, and I I wrote this blog post, you can read it, um, look up Bitcoin as a collector's item, where I sort of lay out the the case Mm -hmm. for this. In the last month alone, record-setting auctions in Watches, classic cars, baseball cards, uh, hockey cards, Pokemon cards, NFTs, all of these asset classes that are very niche. And every day there are hundreds of millions of dollars of, of scarce, rare assets that change hands, super esoteric things, right? Mm-hmm. People know wine. People know classic cars, but people are collecting like world series tickets or right? anything and everything is becoming a collectible. Right. And Bitcoin is the ultimate collectible because in this year, 2021, having just happened, how many Bitcoins are going to be produced this year? Do you know? It's roughly about 300,000. It's around 300,000. How many cars does Porsche produce in a year?
0: Uh, Around 300,000. I'm I'm not a Porsche guy. Maybe we need to have Jason Williams come on.
1: (laughs) So 300,000 Porsches will get produced this year. What does a Porsche retail for on average?
0: I would guess probably about 125.
1: Yeah. So 90, I think, is average. Let's say 90 to 120. So 300,000 Porsches, values going up, hard to find. 300,000 Bitcoins. What's a Bitcoin valued at today?
0: Roughly 41,000.
1: Bitcoin's really fucking cheap.
0: <laughs> I love it. Oh.
1: 300,000 bitcoin. 900 Bitcoins are being mined a day. How many Bitcoins of buy demand are there?
0: Oh, God. Yeah.
1: More than 900. Way more than 900. Way more than 900. I will tell you right now, it's way more than 900. And so, again, once you shift the the mindset, right, we have infinite dollars. And this is why I said to you, nothing effing matters anymore. Like, I studied econ in grad school and in college. I studied math, right? I did all my little econometric equations and all my fun calculus. Throw that all out the... (laughs) Goddamn window. Throw it out the window. The only useful thing I learned is how to do modeling. Like that, that's it. I learned how to do time series modeling and understand like dynamics and systems. That's Mm -hmm. it. Throw the textbooks out of the window because they literally do not matter anymore. We live in a world where number go up. The only thing that's relevant from now on is number go up, stimulus number go up, money printer go brr, stock market go up. It doesn't effing matter. The only thing that matters is keeping the juice flowing.
0: So there is a rumor out there that you are behind Printago burr. Oh, wait. Oh, 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 oh. no, a, you guys can't see it. There's a smile. There's a smile. meltemis smile. We're not doing video, but we're obviously doing video between us. There is a rumor about, you know, a year ago when that came out, that you were behind that. I have of, no comments. Ah, I have no comments. Ah, you, no, you I'm heard not it, that, you heard it there first, people.
1: No, no, no. I'm not that cool. I'm not that interesting. You have to remember, I spend like 15 hours a day on my laptop, just frantically typing on Zoom calls, having conversations like these. I'm not that not that fun. Unless I t- take a break, and then I'm like, wait a minute. There's a Honus Wagner card. This thing trades for 3.5 million. It's a square of paper yep. that trades for 3.5 million dollars. Yep. I'm I'm sorry, David. It's a literal square of paper with ink on it that trades for $3.5 million. And I talk to people all day and Bitcoin was a 20K two weeks ago, I talked to people and they go, Bitcoin at 20K is expensive. And I'm like, what are you talking about? You would buy a goddamn piece of paper for $3.5 million. And you're telling me $20,000 for a piece of the hardest money ever created is too expensive. I literally cannot with you. I do not understand how your brain functions. So let's
0: talk, let's talk about that. That's psychology. That's very deep-seated psychology. And I'm sure you, you know, through your studies, you probably spent some time doing behavioral economics. And so there's a lot of psychology with that. This idea that, you know, and I just tweeted this out before we talked, that I'm getting a lot of calls and a lot of people saying, well, it's at $40,000 right now. Did I miss it? Am I too late? It's this concept of being too late. And I'm going to defer to my colleague, Peter Hans, at my firm, he and I have been talking about this a lot, too. And he came up with something so interesting. And he's got a new podcast now with Ryle Paul and the guys at Real Vision. So everyone check it out. But he was talking about Amazon. So back in the day, when Amazon first went public, it shot up roughly after some fits and spurts. It went up to about $90. And everyone was like, "Uh, oh, I'm too late. Missed it. It's gone. And then it capitulated down. It shot all the way down to two. And I was like, "Uh, oh, it's gone. Amazon's finished. Not even going to look at it. And then it went back up to 90 and was like, oh, shit, I missed it. I missed it again. Then it went up to 300. Then it went up to 400. It's this constant, am I too late, am I too early internal struggle that we have in our brain? What do you think about that?
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I think this is exactly it. So what you're really describing is um things being relative and this is actually i think um the, the fundamentally challenging concept with something like bitcoin which is a paradigm shift so people think um about Bitcoin relative to other assets. And if you recall, a lot of the conversations I had in 2019, 2020 were around Bitcoin's volatility. Right. But Bitcoin's volatility relative to what? Because volatility is a relative measure price. When we talk about price, it's a relative measure because what am I pricing my Bitcoin in? Typically, people are pricing in dollars. So relatively speaking, yes, Bitcoin is volatile compared to holding dollars. But if we compare Bitcoin to, say, equities, if we compare Bitcoin to bonds, if we compare Bitcoin to precious metals, the volatility doesn't look so extreme. So what really happened at the start of this year in March of 2020, the world shifted. The world changed completely. And 40 years of capital markets beliefs were shattered, like smashed with a hammer, completely shattered. Yep. Now, change is really hard for people. And one of the things that's been really interesting, uh, for me personally is like, I want things to go fast, right? Cause I'm in crypto and things move fast. And I'm like, wait, why, why has it taken us six years to get to this point? But in reality, um, as you know, the arc of time is very long and it takes a lot of time for the world to change, Mm -hmm. for people to internalize that change and adjust their mental models, right? And a big part of this and a big part of why I spend so much time talking and writing and trying to teach and communicate is it's really about giving people new frameworks and mental models to help them integrate this new way of thinking or Mm -hmm. these new mental models into how they view the world, right? That's Mm -hmm. really important. I think there's so many brilliant people in crypto who do this in different ways. So we have like this really broad cross section of people communicating in a lot of ways, talking to a lot of different audiences, which is amazing. But we had this fundamental shift that happened. Everything got everything else got crazier. It's not that Bitcoin got crazy. It's that everything else got way freaking crazier. And what I love is when I talk to people about Bitcoin, they're like, mm, Bitcoin, mm, too expensive. I'm like, let me ask you a question. Did you buy, did you buy Tesla at 500? Right. And they said, yeah, yeah, of course I did. Like Tesla's going to the moon. And I'm like, okay. So Tesla has appreciated more this year than Bitcoin has. Tesla appreciated close to 700% right. in
0: 2020,
1: yet you bought it at the high. Okay. And Bitcoin appreciated 250% yeah. in 2020, yet you refused to buy. So help me understand, right, even if we're using the same reference rate of dollars, even if we're looking at the same volatility measure, mm-hmm. somehow Bitcoin to you feels more volatile. Why? And then people start thinking and they're like, wait a minute because math is hard, this we know, (laughs) but people just, they're not thinking logically for some reasons, for some people, when they think about Bitcoin, their brain just goes into like a a tailspin and logic goes out the window. But this is again, why I think the collectibles narrative has been so interesting to me. Cause when I say to people like, do you know what a Honus Wagner card is? They're like, yeah, of course I know. I'm like, I don't know. I'm like, okay, one Honus Wagner card is $3.5 million. Do you think a Bitcoin at $25,000, at $35,000, at $40,000 is expensive? And they're like, probably not.
0: right? So let's dig into that Tesla Bitcoin thing. What part of the fact that Bitcoin is effectively founded by an anon, Satoshi, who we... Do not know if it's a he, she, it, what versus Elon Musk. Very pop, you know, very public.
1: Are we in agreement that Satoshi was the aliens? Are we doing (laughs) aliens? I'm kidding. I'm
0: joking. Oh, every time I hear that, especially in Clubhouse, everyone's like, oh, yeah, it was created by the aliens. I'm like, oh, yeah, let's not do that. You know, I'm I'm already speculating that 2021, the aliens are finally going to come here and just completely take over. But I don't want to hear that. They actually also created. And then I hear the NSA.
1: Oh I the yeah, that, that that rumor has been around for a while, and then there's uh, Paul J. Larue. Like there, right? Yeah. <laughs> what
0: what part in in psychology? Because you talk to a lot of institutional investors too. You talk to a lot of big money. What part of that psychology? That one, you have a very public figure with Elon, and then two, you have Satoshi, who no one really knows who it is, what it is. What part of that do you think plays into
1: this? Yeah, so I actually think Bitcoin and Tesla are very similar in in one regard. Both are aspirational. Mm -hmm. And let me explain what I mean by that. Bitcoin invites you to conceptualize the world in a different way. Tesla, what Elon has done with that business, Elon has memed a new reality into existence. The way Elon talks about Tesla right, is completely detached from the economic realities of that business. Right. Completely detached from the economic realities of that business. But it doesn't matter because the vision that Elon describes, the persona that he has, the cult of personality he's created around himself is aspirational.
0: That's a great song, by the way. Cult of personality. That's a great song.
1: (laughs) It's also a great, like, psychological phenomenon. And – um. What I think Elon's done so effectively is he's captured this zeitgeist. Okay, markets are just sentiment machines, right? Mm-hmm. And it's it's been really interesting because every value investor I talk to, like, 2020 made their brains explode. <laughs> it literally made their brains explode. Mm-hmm. Because they're looking at these stocks trading at 1,400, 2,000, 3,000x. PE for a PE ratio, right? And their brains are exploding. They're like, that's our value. And I'm like, you forgot that nothing effing matters anymore. We don't live in the world that you lived in two years ago. This is not about value. We live in a world where there is a lot of uncertainty. Uncertainty about the future. Uncertainty about the stability of our institutions. Uncertainty about our role in this world that's unfolding. And in times of uncertainty, what people look for is vision, Right. And what Elon Musk articulates when he talks about going to Mars, when he talks about putting a freaking Tesla on Mars, that's a vision. Right. I think Satoshi in so many ways and what we're doing with Bitcoin. Is very similar. And I call this, um, I've been really obsessed with the idea of building cathedrals lately. It's like 500 years ago, right? If I was a visionary and I had a specific view for the future and I wanted to express that, the only way for me to create something that withstood the test of time, right, to create quote unquote immutable truth was Mm -hmm. to build a cathedral. And cathedrals took hundreds of years to build, and people who built them dedicated tremendous amounts of resources to building these amazing, like, technology, uh, technologically very advanced, like, gravity-defying, beautiful structures. Mm -hmm. And whenever people saw them, they would feel inspired, right? Like, cathedrals were how we painted a vision for the reality we wanted to live in. Mm
0: -hmm.
1: Okay, Tesla is a cathedral. Bitcoin is a cathedral. The stocks that are soaring, the assets that are doing well, they're assets that are aspirational, right? And they're people, um, whether it's anons, a community of people, uh, an individual, it's groups of people who believe in a vision for the future that is radically different from the future we live in today. Mm. but it creates emotion, right? People look at it and they're like, that is beautiful. And I want to live in that future. And so what I always think about, I'm an early stage investor, right? So what I love to do, like I've invested in over 250 companies in the last six years in this space, now investing in all sorts of stuff. I love working with early stage founders because as an early stage founder and what you and I also do in our role as communicators is we create reality warps, right? We paint a picture of a reality that is very different from the reality we live in today and our ability to be persuasive and our ability to make people feel something. That's profound because in this world, like nothing makes us feel anything, (laughs) right? Like nothing effing matters. So if you can build a cathedral, if you can build a beautiful vision that inspires and moves people. That is worth billions, trillions of dollars. Because what our world lacks is leadership and vision. And so, people who create vision, they're going to be, you know, in the the next decade, I think they're going to be the people that really excel. Like, yes, the fundamentals have to be there to a certain degree, but you can get very far yep. on vision, and then the vision starts to become reality because other people will start building around your vision.
0: Yep, The idea of cathedrals in this idea, and I love this idea, I absolutely love this idea. It's it's, it's absolutely brilliant. So Joe Wiesenthal recently, I think it was two or three days ago, and I'm sure you're smiling, you know it's coming. He wrote that Bitcoin is a religion.
1: Yeah. And I said that on the podcast I did with him, the one where, uh, Tracy, his, mm-hmm. his, um, partner on the Odd Lots podcast, she became a Bitcoin bull after the podcast we did. But that's how I articulated it. Um, and look, Bitcoin in a way is it has elements of religion, religion, right? So if we think about how reality gets created, let's, let's talk psychology, right? And like metaphysical for a moment. Mm-hmm. So if you remember, um, the philosopher Baudelaire, he wrote this great book called, uh, Simulacra and Simulation, which is about how humans create shared sense of reality. Mm -hmm. So how are you and I communicating right now? We have words, right? And words are the tools we use to communicate, but I'm looking at you on video because you can read a lot from my face and you've already called out my facial expressions a few times because you're like, wait a minute, there's something happening. There's subtext. So we use words and words are symbols, but we have other types of symbols, right? Visuals, uh, feelings, sounds, et cetera. So we use symbols to construct ideologies and those ideologies become reality. Right? Because we act in a way that's consistent with this belief the beliefs we have of what reality should be. Okay, so we start with uh, symbol, symbol becomes ideology, and ideology becomes reality. Mm-hmm. Bitcoin has symbols. We have words that we use, we've language that we use, we've phrases that we use, we've created our own vernacular, we've mm-hmm. created our own iconography, right? We've created our own sacred rituals, we've created like we've created this whole um belief system and the set of principles. And it's it's not it's not doctrine like a religion, right? I would say Bitcoin's more of a, a social movement. Sometimes I joke and I say it's a cult, but it's the best cult I've ever been a part of. <laughs> That's a joke. I'm being facetious there. But Bitcoin does have um, its own iconography and Mm -hmm. its own vernacular and its own symbolism. That symbolism gets translated into a Bitcoin ideology. Like if you were asked to articulate a Bitcoin ideology, you could ask a 100 different Bitcoiners and there'd probably be a fair amount of overlap in the way they talk about the Bitcoin ideology. And that right there, my friend, is a belief system. And then that ideology gets translated into reality by millions of people around the world. Which is, which is wild, right? The way I explained it to an institutional investor, I was like, your company has an IR department and you have one spokesperson and, and you have centralized IR in Bitcoin. Every single person is the IR department. We have millions of people around the world who. Share the symbolism and the iconography, share the ideology, and we're manufacturing this new reality. So, I actually think Bitcoin is far more resilient than any company, any (laughs) asset class, or any government because it's a digital nation state. It's a a digital sort of belief system and doctrine that can absorb so many other philosophies. It can be anything to anyone, which I think is truly magical. That's my metaphysical takeaway. (laughs) (laughs)
0: Digital nation state. I'm going to be listening to this podcast personally for the next few years because I'm just the the knowledge bombs that you're dropping are just phenomenal. Um, So my personal feeling is that Bitcoin had a identity crisis among those that did not truly understand it intrinsically at the fundamentals. It had an identity crisis for a number of years. People were like, well, from the outside, you need to use it to be able to buy coffee at Starbucks. And then they were like, well, you need to be able to buy, use it to buy this and to buy that and to buy this. I don't, in my personal, this is my personal feeling about Bitcoin. Bitcoin is kind of like what your grandma would get you when you turn 13. You would get like a $200 bond, a 10-year bond that you wouldn't be able to touch for 10 years. It was something that, you know, continuously had a store of wealth that you're not going to touch. You're not going to go cash it in because if you try to cash it in early, it's going to lose, you know, half of its value. And it's something that you just hold on to. It's like a, a, what we call a store of wealth, a store of uh, value. And to me, Bitcoin has morphed into the modern day type of savings account, where the yield, obviously, it's not, you know, when you look at regular savings account relative to what Bitcoin does, obviously, that doesn't play out. But in terms of the utilization as a medium of exchange, to go and buy coffee, to go and use it on PayPal, to go pay for your your new MacBook. I don't think that's the purpose of it. One, essentially, because also if you use Bitcoin to buy some of those things, that's a, that's a taxable event. So you should know that. And two, you're diluting your potential future earnings. So what do you think as the, has it morphed into? Do you agree that it has morphed over time from... This idea of it has to be used as you know a, a payment rail. It has to be used as a medium of exchange. To this idea of this is where you will store your wealth.
1: Yeah. So um, here's what I think is beautiful: Bitcoin contains multitudes, right? And here's what's so brilliant about it: When Bitcoin was two hundred dollars, I sent Bitcoin on a regular basis, right? Um, and I had the first ever, uh, Bitcoin debit card that came out. It was, uh, the shift card. Um, this brilliant woman, Meg Nakamura from, uh, San Francisco, she created it. It tied to your Coinbase wallet. I bought like a hundred dollar sushi dinner with it, which at the time was very extravagant. I was like, we eating good tonight because <laughs> I was broke and <laughs> Bitcoin was $200 and right. it stayed there for like three years. It was a time in my life. Um, I bought a rug from Overstock with some Dogecoin. Like I did all sorts of silly stuff uh with with Bitcoin. Um, and obviously it was a store of value and I held Bitcoin with the intention of holding it long term. Right. But like at the end of the day, what's (laughs) great is like throughout human history, gold has been used as both a store of value and a medium of exchange, right? And what's so interesting about um, gold, like it wasn't really, I think a lot of people don't understand how gold became a medium of exchange. Gold was actually used by Julius Caesar uh, really effectively to extend the idea of empire. So talk about symbolism and like ideology, right? Mm -hmm. So one of the ways the Roman empire was able to maintain its, its grip over such a large area of land that was very difficult at the time to sort of monitor, like, how do you convey narratives across time and space when you don't have the internet? Well, you right. use symbols. And Julius Caesar stamping his face on a gold coin was a brilliant way to do that because the money became part of the ideology. Um, and so what's really interesting about Bitcoin is there are people who spend Bitcoin and I think it's totally okay to spend your Bitcoin because again, like we all have life needs. And mm-hmm. I certainly know like my cousin in Turkey, oh my gosh, my favorite story he texted me a couple of months ago and he's like, Hey sis, like, I think I'm going to buy some Bitcoin. I was like, okay, but just be careful. Like, right. You know, it's volatile, but right. yeah, like go you. I was so proud. Um, I texted him yesterday. I was like, you're, I was like, you go Glenn Coco. And he's like, ah, I'm so excited. <laughs> he was like, do you think I should take some out and buy like this new pair of those headphones? I, want? I was like, if you want to, hell yeah, you should. Like people need to spend money. And at the end of the day, like, the Honus Wagner card, mm-hmm. yes, it's a collectible and, yes, store of value. But when you need money, it's an asset that you can cash in to, to spend. Right. And so I think a lot of people in the crypto space, especially in the Bitcoin space, I think are too extreme about this narrative of Bitcoin as a savings technology. I fully agree. But at the end of the day, anything that is highly liquid, and Bitcoin is one of the most liquid assets in the world, there is a 24-7 highly liquid, very deep market for Bitcoin. And that makes Bitcoin a great medium of exchange. It makes mm-hmm. it a great, highly liquid asset. You know, I was having this debate with someone the other day, and I'd love to hear your thoughts, David. Sure. Because you know, if I I used to be in corporate treasury, right? Mm-hmm. And I managed cash equivalents on the balance sheet. So there's cash, right? Which is cash mm-hmm. and bank account. And then there's cash equivalents, which are things like overnights and, and short-term, um, treasuries that you can liquidate because they're highly liquid. There's a robust market for them. So the conversation I was having with someone, um, and I think it was on Twitter. We were arguing about this. So fun <laughs> is, um, on a balance sheet, right? Is Bitcoin a cash equivalent or is it a capital asset? And I was saying it should be a cash equivalent, technically, because there is a robust, highly liquid 24-7 market for Bitcoin. What do you think?
0: Wow. Okay. So so yes, I agree with that. It is probably the most liquid. And it's very interesting you say that because what we've noticed from the institutional side is that Monday morning, 9 o'clock in the morning, you start to see a bunch of buys. And it's always like, okay, you're following the same patterns that you do in traditional assets, you don't have to wait until nine o'clock in the morning and on a Monday morning to start buying Bitcoin. You can; it's 24/7, 365. And so, I agree with you on that. But it's also usually those Treasuries and that cash equivalent is not an asset that has massive potentiality for positive accretion. It's an asset that's fairly stable. It's it's an asset that you have stable a...
1: relative to what david True. stable relative to what and right. i think this is the part where like i blow my own mind when i think about it because i index to dollars mm-hmm. but have you ever indexed to satoshis or bitcoin
0: i've tried yeah you're right it's it is a mind-blowing yep yep yeah <sighs> like mind-blowing how long is it how long does it take though to get there though because it's taken us a, you know this better than anybody it's taken six years to get to this point it's you know, gonna
1: take another six or sixty. Look, we got nothing but time, baby. I have nothing <laughs> better to do, so I'll, I'll be here, you know, talking about bitcoins and cathedrals till the <laughs> <laughs> till the sun explodes. Like, right? I'm, I'm all good. But but look, I don't know how long it's gonna take. But I think the eventuality is, and I think the the more time you spend in Bitcoin and the more time you spend. Managing your own Bitcoin and thinking about Bitcoin like everything is relative, right? So the dollar status is the de facto um, currency, global Mm -hmm. reserve currency, right? This is only a recent phenomenon if we think about human history, right? This is a last really 30 or 40 years phenomenon. Um and so this idea that there will be a different global reserve currency or that people potentially in the future could in ba- index back to multiple reference rates and sort of hedge across multiple currencies like I 100% believe that a decade from now we will live in a multipolar currency world.
0: Wow. I I I have to I have to say I I would agree with that because if I didn't agree with that then I don't know what I'm doing here. So yes, I agree with that.
1: (laughs) And it it won't just be Bitcoin and dollars, right? It could be Bitcoin dollars and renminbi. It could be Bitcoin dollars and Apple bucks, right? It could Mm -hmm. be Bitcoin dollars and, and... A stable coin teslas right (laughs) Think your favorite currency but i I think again um the issue and again this goes back to mental models and i struggled with this and didn't get it for the longest time i have no problem admitting like a lot of stuff i don't understand and then i have like a galaxy brave moment where i'm like (laughs) oh whoa whoa, i get it (laughs) um and so what's what's really interesting to think about um for the last 30 years, right? I'm a child of the 80s. You're probably a child of the 80s as well.
0: Born, never- be, be born before 1980. Just, just shy
1: of it. <laughs> You're a child of the 80s. Yes. But like you have always operated in a world denominated in dollars. Right. Most of the people who you and I are talking to grew up in a world, came of age in a world, built their careers and businesses in a world denominated in dollars. And what we're asking people to believe that I think challenges them and why we get so many of these arguments like, no, he's going to buy anything with Bitcoin. I'm like, give it time because a 100 years ago, if you told people you're going to be buying things in dollars, no one would they be like, "What? What the what's dollar or a credit um, card or a credit card? Right. And so I think, again, when you when you start to think about the future beyond just the very narrow confines of what's happening in Bitcoin land and you look at the broader geopolitical landscape. Look, it's n- make no mistake, like public institutions have been weakened, central banks have been weakened. Yep. They are out of ammo. They are not able to cope with the new reality we live in. Yep. And so it opens the door, right? I think um Libra was really was scared the crap out of I think regulators and policymakers and corporate executives. They're like, yep. well, wait, wait a minute. Yep. Um, and then now people are starting to see um and really understand what Bitcoin is, and they're like Wow. You know, you watched uh, two two months ago, Mark Carney, governor of the Bank of England, in conversation with Larry Fink, the CIO Mm -hmm. of um, BlackRock, the world's largest asset manager. Okay. You have the largest asset manager in the world telling the governor of the Bank of England, I think Bitcoin is a viable global reserve currency. And you watch Mark Carney's face. Yep. And the the like the you see yep. I I love yep. watching people's faces, right? This is like the subtext where like you see things clicking and they're like, oh <laughs> <laughs> whoa, yep. whoa. Yep.
0: <laughs> All right. So I'm gonna ask one more and then I highly recommend so Meltem, and obviously I'm gonna sing your praises on this, has been a educator and a defender of Bitcoin to the highest parts of land in terms of our Congress, in terms of those that are erecting and creating policy. So you have been on the dais with Gary Gensler. And obviously, as we know, that he looks like he's going to be picked for SEC. What can you tell us about that? Because I get a lot of questions about, well, what's the regulatory landscape going to look like? And I said, well, you've got Brian Brooks at OCC pretty pretty good advocate you've got heath over at the CFTC, and you're gonna have you know gensler looking pretty good for the sec that's three pretty and and let's
1: not forget mama yellen uh, mama yellen yes right she's gonna be printing money like it's going out of style that's
0: right that's right (laughs) So, so from gensler you you've gotten to know him a bit i'm sure can you tell us a little bit about kind of his what you think he feels about this whole world
1: Yeah. Look, I think there's a um, let me start by articulating this, which I think is a very important point. Um, There is a very common perception on the Hill that crypto is an unregulated industry, which is categorically false. And I absolutely detest it when people call crypto the Wild West. It's not the Wild West. Right. Like that was 2011, maybe since 2013, Bitcoin businesses in the United States of America and outside the United United States of America have been regulated by the facts and circumstances of what their business is if you are money transmitter you need to get money transmitter licenses if you are money services business you need to get the right license if you're a broker dealer you need to have the right license there's irs rulings on how you pay taxes there's ofac and bsa and fincen rulings on how you report suspicious transactions the idea that Bitcoin markets and Bitcoin as an asset class and as an industry in the United States are unregulated is fucking preposterous. Excuse my language, but I need to say that loud and I need to say that clear. Since 20, and I wrote this in my testimony, since 2015, I've been working with businesses in this space. I've worked with over 250 early stage startups. Their number one cost, time, energy, uh, compliance, compliance. These businesses are compliant. Exchanges yep. in the US, they get thousands of requests from intelligence every single day. Yep. So the idea that these markets are unregulated is, is just absolutely preposterous. You look at the sheer amount. A financial crime happening within the legacy financial system mm-hmm. and how poorly regulated that is and poorly enforced that is. And you look at Bitcoin and you say, Bitcoin's unregulated. I'm sorry, that doesn't fly. And I'm going to come with facts and I'm going to bring receipts because that is categorically incorrect. And there are people in Washington, D.C. who are misrepresenting this industry and the actors in this industry. And I will not stand for that because a lot of people have spent a lot of time, energy, and money trying to figure out how to comply in a landscape where until 2017 regulators wouldn't even pick up the phone when we talked to them. Mm -hmm. Right. And to the credit of the SEC and FINRA – and other regulators, they have engaged. And I give a lot of credit to the CFTC. I think, you know, they've done a lot of great work. Um, Heath has been great at the CFTC, a lot of clarity on swaps, market oversight. Um, the SEC has been more challenging to, to engage with, but I think the SEC is, you know, there's a learning curve. They're trying to figure it out. There's obviously a lot of concern. There have been bad actors. Um, but I would say like crypto is is no less bad than uh the payday lending industry, right? Like there are these massive industries that are 50 times the size of the crypto industry. So the amount of salt that gets directed at the crypto industry is completely outsized yep. when we look at the, how big this market is and what the economic impact is. So let me just say, say that because I think a lot of people, including people I respect fundamentally misrepresent the state of crypto regulation. It's fundamentally misrepresented.
0: As I said, she was going to be heated on that, and she comes correct. And so you want to look at YouTube. I think it's on YouTube. You want to check out Melton. As I said, providing testimony to Congress. I think it was about a year ago during the whole Libra thing. Year and a half ago. So we'll give right
1: yeah, here. if you uh, it's it's on the House Financial Services site. So um yeah, yeah the, the here look and and Gary I think a great person because he um obviously has. A, A long history in capital markets. I Mm -hmm. do think it's interesting. You know, he was had a role to play in 2008. um, Mm -hmm. So you know, if people want to talk about markets and bad things happening in markets. I mean, I'm sorry, can we please hold up a mirror to the people who are running the Biden administration? Because a lot of those people were directly involved in the bail-ins and bailouts of 2008.
0: Yeah. And,
1: you know, most of that TARP money went into the pockets of bankers. It, we didn't bail out everyday Americans. We bailed out bankers. And Look we're going to of the same. Look what happened to PPP. For God's sakes, it happened again. So, and, and look, this is where, again, like people like to talk politics, like Republicans and Democrats, in my view, um, they're different. They differ a bit at the edges, but at the core, like the U.S. government is an institution right now that is focused on corporate socialism. They're going to take money from working class people and give it to corporations. Yeah. And, and and maybe that's a bit extreme but but I really do think a lot of people are missing the forest for the trees um and you look at something like the stable act right which was proposed by some uh, uh Democratic congresswomen and um you, you know I think <laughs> Don't a get me, people, don't
0: get me started. On I know
1: that. a lot of people just misunderstand how the sausage gets made. Why regulate like, like our regulators don't even write the regulation, right? Lobbyists from the yep. banking industry and financial services industry, write The regulation, yep. what I will say, what I am excited about is look um, the U S is, is behind when it comes to financial innovation, financial innovation is, is highly regulated and for good reason. Um, But the U S with, again, it's, agency-driven states versus federal rights sort of approach makes it really hard to establish consistent guidance. That's why I'm so thrilled to see Brian Brooks just sort of like (laughs) putting pedal to the metal at the OCC. If you recall, the OCC tried to create a, a uniform federal charter for fintechs Um, three years ago, and they got sued by all of the states who said, wait a minute, we regulate money transmission, money licensing. Like we can't create a federal charter for fintechs because that's states' rights. And Brian Brooks just like threw cold water on that. He said, okay. Banks can now hold cryptocurrencies in custody. Boom. Now this new regulation that just came out around stable coins, like, love it. We'll see if it gets reversed. I hope it doesn't. So some good things happening. What I think we really need to worry about um, is less specific financial regulation coming from the SEC, FinCEN, CFTC, et cetera. What I'm looking at and what I'm really concerned about, David, is privacy.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Consumer privacy, free speech. Mm-hmm. These are the things that are under assault. And by the way, the number one form of violence that the U.S. government uses is not physical violence. It's financial censorship. Financial censorship is the number one tool of the United States government Operation Chokepoint was a big part of that. Nick Carter at Castle Island, BC just did a great podcast on, um, Operation Chokepoint. Bill Barheight at Abra is actually the one who informed me about it when I first met him in 2015. Like we're sitting at breakfast and he literally like flipped his plate. He was like, Operation Chokepoint. I was like, wait a minute. Give me the tea. And then I was like, wow, wow. But look, financial censorship is the best tool of governments. Like in this country, people are afraid of the IRS. They're afraid of tax. Like, think about how whack that is. Mm -hmm. The government's supposed to provide services to the people. We do our best to figure out, like, what we owe the government for that, quote, unquote, privilege. And if we don't do it right, they're like, oh, you're going to jail. So the relationship that money and state have, right, has been corrupted. Bitcoin is the first experiment at scale that is starting to be successful at separating money and state.
0: I think on that, I I can't, well, I'm not going to even try to go beyond that. Um, Where can people, you know, people are going to want to find you when they hear this. Where can people find you if they don't know you already?
1: Um, I'm a child of the internet. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm on Twitter at melts underscore dem. DMs are always open. Tell me what I got wrong. Tell me what I got right. Or just ship post. Send me some memes. I love a good meme. Um, as you know, and then, um, our website at Coinshares, Coinshares Asset Manager, 3.5 billion assets under management, um, coinshares.com at Coinshares Co on Twitter. It's also linked in my bio. And yeah, look, would, would love to talk to you if you're building something, if you're thinking about something. Um, I love a good philosophical argument. Yeah. And then maybe one of these days we'll do a clubhouse together.
0: Yes. I- <laughs> There is so much out there. There's so many people that are trying to learn. And honestly, when people are listening to this, you have to follow Meltem. It is a when you are looking into the world of Bitcoin, when you're trying to understand it. I'm not going to say this about many people, but she is a necessary follow. She's someone Aww, that I've thanks, gotten to know David. over the years. Um, <laughs> she is battle tested. And I say that in the in the way that you have to be. You are battle tested. You have seen this. Oh, you have uh, seen all of the angles of this. You have test you have stayed towards a test of time. You have persevered and you have become probably in my mind one of the elite investors and knowledge producers in this entire asset class. So you got to follow I, her.
1: I appreciate that. That you know I was saying to someone the other day I spent 6 years getting punched in the face multiple times a day and finally I'm not getting punched in the face anymore and I'm like I kind of kind of miss it. <laughs> <laughs> I think it was Mark Andreessen who said it, but um, it's you'll never have more fun be- than being the little guy fighting the big guy. So I, I kind of miss it like us against the world. Let's go. <laughs> but thank All you. Right. I appreciate it. Those kind words.
0: I'll send you some DMs where I'm punching you in the face. Not
1: <laughs> greatly,
0: not, not literally, of course, but <laughs> don't even think that. But
1: no, cycle. Psycho- just like it really hit me hard psychological. I'll, I'll put you
0: in check. I'll put you in Yeah, check.
1: I need you to mix mix my shit up a little. Okay, I'll, mix, I'll put you in <laughs> check.
0: Meltham, thank you so much for coming on. Again, this is going to be my 200th episode. Woo player. So thank you for the ride. Thank you for the knowledge box. It's
1: a privilege. Um, yeah. And if I can leave you with one vision, like let's build a cathedral like what is the cathedral that we are building we need vision it needs to be big it needs to be audacious i mean i think we got this fam like i kind of think we're gonna make it maybe and so the question is what comes next when we finally win what do we do with that so let's build some cathedrals man
0: let's do it all right (laughs) help thank you thanks david Thanks for listening in to Basslayer. If you like the show and all the different guests that we've brought on, please give a like and subscribe on Apple or Spotify or wherever you do listen to the podcast. Also, if you want to have a conversation or reach out to me, you can reach me out on Twitter at David J. Nage, and let's talk there. Or also you can find me on LinkedIn. And I look forward to having great conversations with you all about digital assets. This podcast is presented by Blockworks Group, one of the best digital asset event and media production companies that I know of. For exclusive content and events that provide insight into digital assets, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. You won't be disappointed.